you do not have like it doesn't go down when pastor's not here, right? We've got his, his, his father's able to be with us uh, tonight to minister to us. He is the man that I'm wearing a tie right now. He's the reason that I'm wearing that. I, I, we're getting ready to come to church, sitting in the house, sitting in the chair, and, and Gracie goes, why are you so dressed up? I go, he's preaching. He's going to wear a tie. So I'm not going to be up here not wearing a tie. But uh, So I'll take it off as soon as I go out there. But... <laughs> but but honestly, I, I do. I, I told Pastor today when he called and said that his father would be ministering, I said, always look forward to that. I mean, I always look forward to him uh, ministering to us. There you go. All right. That's good. Why don't you come at this time and minister what God's given to you? Thank you, sir. Thank you for your kind remarks. Amen. I'm glad you didn't call me elder. That's much, that's good. Thank you. It is good to be in the house of God tonight. I do miss the pastor not being here. Uh, I understand why he's not here with his sickness, but I just miss him when he's not here. When he called and asked if I could minister tonight, I was glad to, to do so. And, but then he proceeded to tell me what he would have preached tonight had he been here. And he said, I just wish I could be there to preach it. And, and it sounded great. I wanted to hear it too. Maybe later we'll get to hear it. Amen. But I would like to, to teach a little bit tonight. I'm teaching from the book of Job, and I'm really going to the very last chapter, the 42nd chapter of the book of Job. We will also be picking up a little bit in chapter 38 and looking at some things that occurred there. But primarily, we're looking at, at the 42nd chapter of the book of Job. Uh, while you're finding that in your Bibles or on your phones or whatever device you read the word in. Uh, just let me say a little bit about the book of Job. The book of Job was probably the first book of the Bible ever written. It wasn't the first events that occurred in the history of mankind, but it was the first book that was actually written. The, the book of Genesis, of course, are events that occurred before Job, part of them at least. But, but the book of Job was the first written book. So when we look at, at the experiences of the life of Job, we just have to remember up front, Job did not have a Bible. There was nothing written at that point. At the point of his living, not even his story was written. So he did not have access to the written Word of God. So everything that he had was what he had heard. Now he lived early on in the history of man, scriptural history. So there wasn't a huge number of people between Adam and the life of Job. Now, there was a, a long time in several generations, but you have to remember that back then people lived a lot longer than we live today. So one person could span 500 years pretty quickly, and then the next person would span the next 500 years, so 1,000 years, only two people. So just by word of mouth is probably how Job knew about God. We will read and hear something about it in just a little bit, but, but he knew about God from what he had heard people telling him about God. There's a lot of people in our world today, that's how they know about God, is what they've heard. 
They've never heard that little still small voice whispering to them. They've never in a moment of prayer felt that quickening of their heart and felt God speaking to them. They've never heard a preacher or a teacher expounding on the Word of God or declaring the Word of God. They've never heard that. They've only heard somebody talking about God. We were leaving a restaurant, uh, where did we, Chick-fil-A, walking back to the car. There's a lady parked in a vehicle beside us. She was getting ready to get in the car, and she forgot to shut her hatchback. She happened to look back, and she just used God's word in a very uh, unfavorable way. I forgot to shut the hatchback. Two little girls were there with her. They heard her talk about God, but in an awful way. They heard them use a title for God, but in an awful way. So just because someone in today's society has heard something about God does not mean that they have heard it correctly. And even for Job, just because Job had heard down through time by word of mouth that he heard about God did not mean that he had a good picture of God in his own mind. And I hope we can look at a little bit of that today. There was a man by the name of C.S. Lewis. How many of you have ever read anything from C.S. Lewis? Some of you have. I see some hands. C.S. Lewis was an amazing writer. A lot of people quote him, and a few people have read after him. But when you, when you read one particular statement, this is a statement that C.S. Lewis wrote. Hell is the greatest monument to human freedom. And when you, when you read that again or, or hear it again, have to think about it. Hell is the greatest monument to human freedom. Because man, by the grace of God, was given freedom to choose. That was one of the freedoms God gave us in the Garden of Eden. When, when, the, when Satan came in the form of a serpent, he deceived Adam and Eve, deceived Eve. Adam, perhaps, was not deceived, but... The Bible specifically says that he deceived Eve. And Eve fell for his, his trickery, and she partook of the fruit. Then she convinced her husband to partake of the fruit, and, and they sinned in the presence and sight of God. But they had a choice. They could not have chosen to eat of the fruit. God placed two trees in the garden. One was forbidden, the other one was not forbidden. They chose to eat of the forbidden fruit. How natural is that? <laughs> Tell your children. You know, I know some parents who they tell their children not to do something because they want their child to do that. Any parent want to confess? <laughs> I had two sons. <laughs> When all else fails, try reverse psychology. <laughs> it's not the best, it's not the good parenting uh, lesson of the night, for sure. But it works, y'all understand. But God gave us two choices in the beginning, gave Adam and Eve two choices, to do it or not do it, and they did it. They partook of the forbidden fruit. Now that choice, as C.S. Lewis said, that human choice is one of the greatest monuments, or hell is a monument to that 
fact of human freedom or the freedom to choose. I would like to add to C.S. Lewis's statements because I believe that heaven is a bigger monument to the, to the freedom that man has to choose. Because the same man can choose something that will result in him or her going to hell as they can choosing something that will result in him or her going to heaven. So although C.S. Lewis said hell is the monument, I would say that heaven and hell are monuments to the freedom that we have to make choices. But it's not enough that we just choose Jesus, that we just choose Him. But not only do we have to choose Him, we have to submit to Him. Because we can choose something with our mouth, but never submit with our heart, and we still have not followed the paths of righteousness for His namesake. So we do need to somehow, by God's grace, we need to make right choices and then we submit, need to submit to the God who is a part of that choice. Choosing Jesus does not guarantee salvation. It is a portion of that salvation process. But submitting to Jesus Christ is a, is a greater part of that process. Submitting to Him, to His will, and to His Word. Now, when we, when we understand that, there was another fellow who wrote something. His name was John Stott, and he wrote this, these two or three phrases, sentences. Listen to how John Stott worded it. The essence of sin is we human beings substituting ourselves for God. But salvation is God substituting himself for us. The sin is when we refuse to submit to God and instead we put ourselves in the place of God. And yet Jesus Christ in his willing to, willingness to save us, he put himself in our place so that we could obtain righteousness through him. I'm thankful that I know the difference between salvation and sin. It depends on who's on the throne of your life. And that's all about the word submission. And one of the things that Job learned, and he said and his words and his actions show that he learned it in the 42nd chapter. In the first 36 chapters, we, we learn how great of a man Job was, one of the richest mans of the land. He was a great man. He hated evil. He feared God. Uh, he was a righteous man. He had children. Uh, boys, he had girls, he had a wife, he had animals, he had riches, he had everything that anybody could ever want. And yet, in later in the book, when he's looking back at what happened, one thing that he did not have was an understanding of the behind-the-scenes activities that, were going, that was going on in the spiritual world. You and I are in that same predicament. We live in the flesh. Now, you can walk in the Spirit all you want, but folks, you live in the flesh. You need to walk in the Spirit so you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. I understand that command. But we still live in the flesh. And when we live in the flesh, too often we're not observing because we're looking through carnal eyes. We're not observing what is going on in the spiritual world around us. I'm not trying to be spooky-wooky today. I know this is October. I understand that. <laughs> I understand that. But I'm not trying to be uh, 
weird in, in a sickening spiritual way. But Job did not understand what was happening to him because he did not understand the little discussion that was taking place between God and Satan. God and Satan had something going. Satan came before God, came before him and some others, and, and there was a discussion going on. And, and you know the story. That's the familiar part of the book of Job. The devil said, if, if, or, or God said, Satan, have you considered my servant Job? And the devil says, well, I sure have, but you've got such a hedge around him, I can't even touch him. Course of conversation, he finally told God, he said, if you will just let that hedge go, I will make him curse you. And finally, God gave him permission. Took down the hedge. You can do anything you want, but just don't, just don't take his life. <laughs> but Job didn't get to see that. And so the process began. In one day's time, servants came and told Job, all of your animals are wiped out. Your children are, are, are dead. All of your riches are gone. And he lost everything. It was a horrible, traumatic day. All he had was his life and his wife. I'm not going there. You people who know the book of Job, you know what she had to say about it, but I'm not going there. All he had was his life and his wife, but what he didn't have was an understanding of what God was up to. There's a lot of times in my life I have gone through things and I did not understand what God was up to. By the grace of God, years passed and I finally saw the bigger picture and I was so thankful that he answered my prayers the way he did. Or whether or maybe I thought he didn't answer the, my prayers. But when you're going through something and you don't know what God's up to, you do what Job did and you say, why? Why, God? Why is this happening to me? Why have I lost that? Why is my health like this? Why are my children like this? Why is that like that? Why, God? Is it because I'm a rank sinner? I was with someone this week. They asked me, why am I suffering so much? Is it because I'm not doing enough good? I said, no. The amount of good that you do has nothing to do with God's view of you. Your sins were taken care of by Him, not by your good works. Job said, why? 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 I've been at times of, of deaths, speaking with family in and around the funeral time, and, and they, they asked me the question, why did God take my child? Or why did God take my spouse? It's tough to answer. Tough to answer. In fact, it's so tough, when Job asked God that, God did not tell him why. So whenever you don't get an answer, just say, okay, God, I'm in Job's style. You're not answering me, but just remember, you don't know what God is up to. And that's a, that's a, a unique place to be. I'm going to turn mine off. 
lest I. One day I was in a service and I told the people, be sure and turn your phones off as service was beginning. My phone was in my pocket. I was getting ready to lead singing and all of a sudden it started ringing. I totally ignored it. Kind of clamped my, my arm on that, you know, so it would silent it a little bit. I just kept going like nothing happened. You know, whenever it's ringing in public, it seems like it rings forever. You know, those people just ring till it, till your voice comes on the answer machine, you know. <laughs> Mine's off. <laughs> I was at a church not long ago, and they have a sign at the very first. Please remember, when service is over, turn your phones back on. Isn't that a sweet way of saying it? Instead of saying, turn your phone off, they'd simply say, please remember at the close of the service, remember to turn your phone back on. My mind doesn't work in those sweet, kind ways. <laughs> so here's Job asking why to a God that wasn't answering back. And Job was left in a dilemma there. He, he was protesting but when Job was in that dilemma of wondering why, he had some wonderful friends who came to see him. He had three friends that came, and, and they came, and, and when they first got there, they sat down for seven days just staring at him. Now, if I ever get sick, please don't come and stare at me for seven days. If I'm having trouble... Please don't do that. I mean, come and tell me something. Tell me a joke, you know. Tell me God loves me, you know, something. <laughs> but don't just sit there and look at me. And don't do what his people did to him because his three friends that came, they started telling him how sinful he was. You treat your servants awful. You take advantage of the poor. And that's why God has brought all of this hardship upon you. You've been bad. You've sinned. You, you haven't lived up to what you ought to be doing. And that's why this happened. And friend after friend all agreed and told him the same reasons. God was not blessing him. Instead, God had cursed him. And it was all because he was evil. He was bad. He contested it for a while. We'll see that in chapter 13 perhaps. But, but he, for, he was in a dilemma. Because he knew, because he knew what he had been doing, he knew that he had been righteous. He wasn't bragging about that, but but he would not let go of his righteousness. He did not hear what God told Satan when he said, "Have you considered my servant Job? He's a just man. He hates, he loves me, and he hates evil." He didn't hear God saying that about him. All he heard was his, was his three friends agreeing on the same thing, that, that Job was sinful. And even though he knew he wasn't, after a while, your friends, with they all say the same thing, can start convincing you that maybe I have slipped up. Maybe I have been doing something bad. And he would refute them for a while, and then they would come back strong again. And so all the way from about chapter... Two, somewhere in 2 I think it is all the way to, to chapter 37 Job's friends are, are lambasting him for his evilness and he'll get a word in edgewise sometime he will give a discussion back to them and disagree with what they're saying but always remember when you're reading the book of Job remember who's talking some of the things that those men were saying sounds 
good. But remember who's talking. Because everything they were saying was not right, was not correct. And we will see where God lets them know that in chapter 42. Now, let's go to, to chapter 42. You may want I'll just kind of start at the first. And you may want to walk through it a little bit as I'm going through it. Job says in, in verse 2, I know that thou canst do everything and that no thought can be withholden from thee. Now, this is when Job, there's something different about this sentence that he says compared to what he was saying prior to chapter 38. Something happened in chapter 38, 39, 40, and 41. Something happened that changed Job's attitude and changed his mind. And this says, I know that thou canst do everything. Up to that, he didn't think God could do everything because God had taken everything away from him. And he asked, why, why? But now he says, God, I know you can do everything. The thing that made a difference is what happened in chapters 38, 39, 40, and 41. Because in there, God told... Well, let me, let me just read a passage of Scripture. I'm reading from chapter 38. The Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said... Who is this that darkeneth counsel with words by words without knowledge? He's talking to Job. Gird up now thy loins like a man, for I will demand of thee and answer thou me. And then, so God is tired of Job's uh, whining. He's tired of the other guy's false accusations. He's tired of his own reputation being questioned. And so he said, okay, gird up your loins like a man. It's time for you to face the music. And then he starts asking him questions. Look at the first one that he asked. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? This is chapter 38, verse 4. Uh, if you have understanding, tell me, declare it. Or who hath laid the measures thereof, if thou knowest? Or who hath stretcheth the line upon it? Who laid the cornerstone of the earth? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy, where were you? Or who did shut up the sea with doors when it break forth and as if it had issued out of the womb? When I made the clouds, the garment thereof, and the thick darkness a swaddling band for it. And he starts asking him all of these questions. He asked him, are you the one that put the beautiful feathers on the peacock and put the feathers on the tail of a peacock that spreads out? Or what about the ostrich? Did you put the feathers all over an ostrich? One scripture he says, and are you the one that feeds the young lions? Or, Job, have you ever been to where the snow starts? Do you know where the hail comes from? The, the H-A-I-L? <laughs> I have to clarify that when it's just spoken. Do you know where the hail comes from? Have you ever been in the treasure vault of God where, where the source of hail is? Where do you think all those, those round things that fall out of the... Where do you think that comes from, Job? Did you put it there? And he asked all of these questions of Job. Nearly every question 
was, was based on creation. Where were you when the stars were created, Job? Did you hang the sun up there? He could have said, how did you get a ladder so tall to hang it? But did you hang it? Did you fling the stars into space? And, and in all of the questioning that God was giving to, to Job, he was, he was asking him questions, but he was not answering Job's questions. Job's question was, why? What have I done? Why me, Lord? But God's question was, were you there when, when I created the worlds? Were you there when I made the, the mountains to sing for joy? Were you there? God was asking him questions, but he wasn't answering Job's questions. Job, after hearing that, even in, in, in chapter 41, I believe it's 41, the, the Bible uses the word Leviathan. The best we can understand about Leviathan is a creature of the sea. The other, other uh, concepts of it, uh, alligator, hippopotamus, there's some other things that it could be, but probably a large creature of the sea. And he talks all about Leviathan and how he, what he does and how he's made. And, and he asks Job, can you do anything about that? And Job is just there. And then in chapter 42, moreover the Lord, whoop, then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that thou canst do everything and that no thought can be withholden from thee. Look at chapter 40. The Lord answered Job and said, Shall he that contendeth with the Almighty instruct him? He that reproveth God, let him answer. Then Job answered the Lord. Now, verse chapter 40, this is the first time in all of this stretch of, of chapters, 38, 39, 40, up till 40. God has been asking all these questions, and Job has been silent. But now God challenges him to answer. And Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am vile. What shall I answer thee? I will lay my hand upon my mouth. Once have I spoken. That was at the start of 38. Once have I spoken, but I will not answer. Yea, twice, but I will proceed no further. Because all of God's questions to him, were you there when? Did you, could you do that? All of those questions just put Job in a speechless frame of mind. He couldn't respond to the glories of God that were being exposed to him. Because when God said, do you know where the source of the hailstones are? When God asked, do you know that? Job's only answer in himself was, no, I don't know it. God, you know everything. Can you feed the, the young lions when they get hungry? Job's only answer inside. He didn't speak it, but he knew it. I cannot feed all of those lions, but, but you can. So God, in, in asking those questions, He was revealing His own self and His own power. And I want to get that point across. God was revealing Himself and His power to Job. Job had questions, but God didn't answer his questions. Job had lost everything, but God did not restore those things. But instead, God asked him questions which was validating God's power, God's magnificence, God's grandeur, God's eternal strength. God was revealing his timeless to Job. And when God was revealing those things to Job, as Job's 
comprehension and understanding of God grew, it grew larger than his need for his losses to be replaced. Sometimes in our life, when it's not God's will to replace our losses, I'm not the person to determine when that is. He's sovereign. He can do it all. He knows all things. He can do all things. He's omniscient. We sang some of the words today. He's, he's Jehovah Jireh. He's all of those things. And I, it's up to him to determine when he replaces my losses, if he does. But what he wants me to do is have an understanding of his supremeness of his sovereignty, of his greatness and grandness, of his wisdom, of his eternal power. He wants me to understand that because when I understand the sovereignty of God, the awesomeness of God, the power of God, I can trust in him. No matter what I've lost, I can trust in him. It's when my comprehension of him is weak that I cannot trust him because I say, he can't hold me, he's not big enough to hold me but when I understand how big he is I can trust him I can have a confidence that he's in control and I can submit to him remember at the first we started talking about choosing and submission Job was able to submit to God and I would like to look a little bit at how he submitted to God because it does make a difference Job chapter 42, verse 3. Who is he that hideth counsel without knowledge? Therefore have I uttered that I understood not things too wonderful for me, which I knew not. He began confessing and admitting that he did not know the grandeur of God until God started showing him those things. He was able to, to see that in a completed fashion. Job chapter 42, verse 6. After God had revealed himself to Job in those several chapters. Now in Job 42 verse 6, Job repents, the Bible says, in dust and ashes. Now what God has just said, or will say in the very next verse, in Job 42 verse 7, God spoke to the three men, spoke first to Eliphaz the Temanite, and he told him to tell it to the others. He said, My wrath is kindled against thee and thy two friends, for you have not spoken of me the thing that is right, as my servant Job hath. In those few words that God told the friend, all three friends really, he says, You have been speaking wrong, but my servant Job has spoken right. I want you to remember that. Put it in your mind. God said that what Job said was right. But I want you to remember what Job said. Job said, why? Why? Too often we condemn ourselves when we're in difficult times and we ask, why? Why did you do that? Why did I lose this? Why are these troubles? No one has as many troubles as I. God, why are you heaping all these troubles on me? Nobody has as much pain and difficulty as I have. Nobody goes through troubles and trials like I do. Why, God? But God said, Job's questioning why was okay. And it's okay for you and it's okay for me to ask why. But God does know the end from the beginning. And he did know that Job's why's 
when coupled with God's assurance, Job was going to come to a position where he could trust God. Hallelujah. So Job repented in dust and ashes. Now, we know that according to verse 7, God said that Job had done nothing wrong and what he said was right. The very first part of Job, God told the devil that Job is a just man. He loves God. He hates evil. So we know that Job was a just man. He did right. What he said was right. We know that. But yet the Bible says that Job repented in dust and ashes. Have you ever thought about that? Why did Job need to repent if he had done nothing wrong? Why did Job need to repent? God said he had done nothing wrong. Job himself, in chapter 13, he told the men, my righteousness is intact. I haven't lost my righteousness. So Job felt he was right. God stated he was right. And yet he repented in dust and ashes. Now repentance, the word repentance can mean several things. But let me look at this one in a certain way. He repented while he was in his dust and ashes. You remember the first of the book, he had the pot shirt. He was scraping his balls in the dust and miserable time. But now... He's in the presence of God. God has given all these positive assurances of God's power. And now Job is repenting, not for doing something evil, but he's repenting for being in such a negative frame of mind that he can't receive these wonderful assurances from God. And so he turned away, not from sin, but from his level of, of doubting God's power. God assured him, and through that assurance of God, Job was able to turn. His, his faith was recalibrated. His faith was brought back into focus. Not that he had been sinning in that level of his unbelief or disbelief, but, but God recalibrated. He refocused his faith. And now his faith is back on God, and he can make some wonderful statements back to God. And so he was not rejecting his sin, but he was turning back to God in full faith. I think that's a wonderful thing to do. And then God had some more words for those three friends. Told them, you're a bunch of sinners. You've told lies. In fact, it's what Job told them in chapter 13, I believe it was. You're liars speaking the way you do of me. My, my righteousness, my integrity is intact. You're lying on me. And now God is so displeased with this group of people, these three men. He did not command them to pray for themselves. But instead, he told them to make an offering, kill seven animals, and offer them, and then ask Job to pray for you. And if Job will pray for you, then will I hear and not hold you accountable for your wickedness. But Job's got to pray for you. Now, God is an amazing God. God is all about reconciliation. God wants to restore people. If you're at odds with people, God wants to reconcile that. If people are at odds with you, and, and it can go both ways or either way, God wants to reconcile that. But when God looked down at this scene, there were three situations that needed to be reconciled. God and these three people were at odds. They needed to be reconciled. 
Job and those three people were at odds. I mean, if Job had called them liars, so obviously they were at odds. <laughs> but instead of deserting his friends, Job listened to the voice of God. But they were at odds. God wanted to reconcile those three. So when God looked down at that, the only way that God chose to do it was to let Job after the men made their sacrifice, so they had to start something, and then they had to ask Job to pray for them. Job had to be gracious, gracious enough to pray for them. They had to be gracious enough to receive that prayer. It took grace on both sides, folks. So Job graciously obeyed God and prayed for what had been his friends but had become his enemies, false accusers. So he prayed for them, and God graciously brought all of these three groups, God, Job, and the three friends, brought them all back into a reconciled position. How did that happen? Job had to be humble, and he also had to be repentant. And wrapped up at the, the package that, that humility and repentance are wrapped up in, that package is called submission. He submitted to God's instruction, God's will, God's command, whatever you choose to call it. He submitted to what God was asking of him. God did not ask him, though, to do these things without empowering him. No, he didn't empower him by giving him the gift of the Holy Ghost, but he empowered him by revealing to Job the grandeur of God. And when Job understood the grandeur of God, he was able then to respond in submission, respond in repentance, respond in humility, pray for those who despitefully used him, and God brought reconciliation. The people around, they saw Job's dilemma. They started bringing him gifts. Everybody started coming to his house, all of his people. They had kind of ignored him when he had all the balls and all the loss. But, but now that God's got through with Job, maybe his countenance has changed. Maybe he's looking up a bit. People always like to hang around people who look up. You want to lose all your friends? Start whining. Start complaining. Grousing. My wife tells me sometimes I'm getting to be a grouchy old man. And she's probably right. I don't want to be a grouchy old man. I don't even want to be a grouchy young man. That would be even worse. But if you want to have friends, let your countenance change as God reveals the, His power to you. And that's what happened to Job. People started coming back around. They brought him gifts. They brought so much gifts, he started getting his riches back. He ended up having more children, same number of children that he had lost. He had riches and, and animals and cattle and all the other things, twice as much as he had before. God restored him and beyond what he had been before. How did that happen? It could only happen after God revealed himself in all of his glory to Job by a series of questions, and then how Job submitted to that understanding, to that revelation. Remember in the book of Isaiah, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Remember that story? Remember that passage? His train filled the temple. And I saw all the, the, the glory of it, the, the, the majesty of it. But after, 
after Isaiah saw the glory of God, it filled the temple. His train filled the temple. Job says, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. And God dealt with him and made a spokesman out of him for the kingdom's sake. Job, I mean, Isaiah understand his finiteness when he understood God's infiniteness. Job understood his humanness when he saw God in all of his glory. And the same happened to Job. Isaiah saw it in Isaiah, but Job saw it in the book of Job. And when Job saw the majesty of God, he submitted to it just the same as Isaiah submitted to the majesty of God. And because Job submitted to the majesty of God, then God began answering the questions Job asked originally and restoring what he had lost. But remember when you read the start of Job chapter 42, when Job's attitude changed, his attitude changed before he ever got a child back or, or a new child, before he ever got a camel back, before he ever got a piece of gold back, before his riches started rolling in, while he still had not gotten anything back that he lost, his attitude changed toward God. There's sometimes that our attitude does not change. It's like we have a closed fist and God can't put anything in our hand. Whether we're shaking the fist in His face or it's just clenched in our own self-consternation. God wants to give, but we have to open ourselves to His revelation of glory and grandeur and power. Job was able to do it. And we are too. Why do we come to the house of God? By the, to allow the word of God to reveal to us Him, His glory. There were singers on the platform praising. Uh, what were some of the words? I worship him for who he is. And then one, uh, one was uh, holy, uh, holy and righteous, almighty. All of the songs we sang, I was listening to them. I forget them now. But I was listening to them as we sang. So many of them were, were, re, were re-declaring the glory of God when we worship Him in our praise, when we worship Him, when we magnify Him, we are doing, in a sense, what God was doing for Job in chapters 38, 39, 40, and 41. What God was doing to Job, we do that in part by our worship, especially when we're using Scripture principles as we worship, words of worship and glory. When a teacher's teaching, a preacher's preaching, we're, we're, we're magnifying God. And as we magnify God, as we get a better understanding of God's power, it becomes easier for us to trust Him. When you think God is love, there's a few phrases in the Bible where it's a God is something. And love is one of them. God is love. God is holy is another one. But those few words of uh, phrases of description, sentences of description, God is love. When we can get that sunk into our mind, no matter what happens to us, 
we know that a God that loves us is in control. And I can rest in that. Even if things aren't going my way, when I can understand with my head what His majesty really is, and it can become embedded in my heart, the majesty of God, the love of God, the greatness, the grandeur of God, then whatever I'm going through, I can trust Him to do the best thing. I don't have to tell Him what to do, but I can allow Him to do what He knows is best. I hope we can learn a lesson from the book of Job tonight. You may want to read 38, 39, 40, 41, and 42 of Job sometime soon while it's kind of fresh on your mind. Read, read those few chapters of Job and listen to how God in His questioning is giving Job answers. And let that same God and His questions speak to you and you can understand His might and His power. Amen. Shall we stand today? Just a quick look at the latter part of Job. But I pray that it will help you as you face your own trials and tribulations and temptations and rough spots. We all have them, some more than others, and some at different times than others. But we all walk the human trail together. But we also walk it with our hand in His, knowing that everything's going to be all right. Amen. So read the end of the book of Job, and you can take courage. Amen. God bless you. As you go, remember, remember the, the Lord and His goodness. Let His peace go with you in Jesus' name. God bless you all. You're dismissed in Jesus' name. Amen.